Welcome to the Choose You Now podcast. I'm your host, Juliana Hever, and welcome to the November Q&A, the first official episode of season two. I am excited to bring on our wonderful producers, producer Sanford and producer Adam. Thank you for being here today. I mean, we kind of have to be, don't we? No, just kidding. <laughs> I was going to say, it's a pleasure to be here. All right. Uh, yeah. A, hey, everybody. Is, it's, it's always a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> and if any of you missed it, we have a new Patreon page. So you can get all of this wonderful live exclusive content. So join us there. That is at patreon.com slash choose you now. And Sanford, are you ready to start asking some of these wonderful listener questions that we got from email and social media? I sure am. We have a lot of them today. Since it's our season two premiere, it's sort of a packed Q&A. So here we go. The first one, um, Beth V sent us an email. First of all, she said, hi, Juliana. Love your podcast. Thank you, Beth V. Um, Here's here's her question. I've lost 45 pounds on a whole food plant-based diet but I've yet to tackle the salt monster. Can you talk more about why it's important to eat less salt? I am borderline hypertensive. Thank you, Juliana. There you go. Well, thank you, Beth, for reaching out and congratulations on your success. Losing 45 pounds is nothing to scoff at. That's quite awesome. And so good job. And yes, there is a salt monster. And that is why it is so pervasive because salt makes everything taste better. And that's what it's used for. And that's why we love to eat it. And it easily makes food more palatable, more delicious, and easier to overeat. So that's one reason in terms of your, I don't know where you are on the weight loss process if you're done, but you said it yourself. If you're borderline hypertensive, boom, this could be the big difference. Switching to a plant-based diet is extraordinarily helpful for blood pressure and normalizing blood pressure. I'm hoping that you have noticed that already, but if you could just get to this other next level, up level, right, as they say, and reduce your salt, you'll notice that your palate will adjust. So anytime you've ever switched your diet from anything, like from soda to diet soda, or from whole milk to uh, non-fat milk, or just changing the changing something that you're used to takes time. And if you just kind of, you could either go cold tofu, or you can stepwise into reducing your sodium intake, it will help your palate just kind of get used to it. And then I see this every single time people start tasting the salt in something like celery. Like celery is, by the way, known as the salt component of a mirepoix when you're starting a soup base or um, different dishes that you use a mirepoix for. Celery is that salty. So you'll start to notice the salt in natural foods the more you, the further away you get from adding salt to your food. Interestingly, also putting it on top as opposed to cooking it in is a big deal because did you know that potato chips have the same amount of salt as bread per serving, per grams? Because it's baked in, you can't taste it, but because it's on the potato chip on the surface, it's right there and it hits your tongue immediately. So your palate will adjust. But you know, according to the American Heart Association, we're not supposed to get more than 2,300 milligrams of sodium a day. Ideally, we're limiting it to no more than 1,500, especially if you are already borderline hypertensive. Because you know, high blood pressure is 
first most pervasive reason for strokes and cardiovascular disease. So it is important to get that into under control. And this is one easy way to do so. Just know that as you consistently stick to a lower sodium diet, you will adjust. And then you'll notice if you eat something that's higher in salt, it'll like shock your tongue later on down the line. So it will happen and it's worth the effort. And so I would say just go for it. Can we just talk about for 30 seconds, the same amount of salt in bread that there are in potato chips? That's nuts. Mm-hmm. No, it's salt. Oh, what did, I, wait, what did uh, yeah. I say? What did I say? <laughs> no, it is. It's I not nuts. It's salt. Sorry. It's oh, I said, did I say, wait, I said nuts? No. <laughs> no. You're, you're hearing things again. It's all the salt that you eat. There you go, Walt. That is incredible. That's, that is, that's crazy. Okay. Well, thank you for that, Beth. Thank you for that question. Here's our next question. This is from Greg. He emailed us on Facebook. Two, he, Greg goes right to the point. He's right to the point. He has two quick <laughs> questions for you, Juliana. The first one is, should I be concerned about agaratine? Did I pronounce that right, Juliana? I think it's agaratine. Should, should I be concerned about agaratine in mushrooms? And his second question is, uh, oxalate side effects like kidney stones? Okay, Greg, thank you for these very great questions, very specific and good questions. These are really good questions. So let's start with number one. Should I be concerned about a garotene in mushrooms? What is that? Well, basically there's this group of hydrazines in many mushrooms that can potentially be carcinogenic. So this compound is only heat stable to about 400 degrees. So it breaks down in high heat, which is why people suggest cooking mushrooms. But, you know, honestly, like I don't like to have so many things to be so concerned about. People get so concerned and uh, worry about every single bite they have that this is not something that's high on the list because remember that the dose makes the poison as well. So, yeah, cooking should be great. It does, you know, get rid of those compounds. And there are so many reasons to enjoy mushrooms. So I wouldn't want anything to stop you just for a a little hot love affair on the mushroom, the fungi family. They've been consumed as food and medicine for millennia. And there's so many things that they do that are health promoting that they should be, they're part of my six daily threes because they are so extraordinary. They are cytoprotective and they are anti-diabetic and anti-allergic and immunomodulating and cardioprotective and cholesterol-lowering and antiviral, antibacterial, antiparasitic, detoxifying, cancer protective. There's so many reasons to include mushrooms. So cook them or you eat them freeze-dried or dried because they have these supplements that are freeze-dried where you're also getting rid of those compounds. If you have a little raw mushroom here and there, I don't think that's going to be a major deal. I wouldn't worry about it. I think they taste better when they're cooked personally. They're also easier to digest when they're cooked. But I always go back to the recommendations that I learned from Paul Stamets where he says to include a variety of the edible species, which there's so many mushrooms, there's shiitake and oyster, maitake, king oyster, button, cremini, portobello, porcini, chanterelles. I just got some chanterelles today. They're so yummy. And he says, Paul Stamma says to eat about three, at least three different varieties every week. I would say go for it every day, but if you can, I love mushrooms. So don't let that fear you away from the shrooms. The second question, what about oxalate side effects like kidney stones? Yes, there are these compounds called oxalates, and they're found in many of those leafy green goodness vegetables that I'm always talking about and throwing the love out to. 
There's oxalates also found in things like beads and rhubarb and amaranth. So it's out there, but they do kind of collect in a lot of these leafy greens, especially stuff like spinach and chard and beet greens. Those are the highest in oxalates. Now, is it a problem? It could be. Uh, it can potentially promote kidney stones and it's also been able to, you know, it could also inhibit absorption of certain minerals like calcium and iron. So in order to avoid that, and so many people are trying to get enough calcium and iron, I would suggest emphasizing the lower oxalate options. Those specifically would be things like cabbage, lettuce, like all lettuce, arugula, broccoli, and kale. Those are lower in oxalates, and I would just prioritize those over the higher oxalate greens. Um, Juliana, let, let's just talk about something else for 20 seconds here. I got kidney stones um, a, a couple of years ago. And the first question the doctor asked me was, are you running a lot? Have you, have you heard about that? Well, before? that said, there are so many different types of kidney stones. We're talking here about oxalate stones. So, oh, okay. what, but a lot of, most of the time people get stones in their kidney because of dehydration. They're just not drinking enough water fluid. So running a lot would be dehydrating, especially if you're not compensating with adequate hydration. Interesting. Very good. So next question is from Lior. Lior wrote us on Facebook. I have to say this question is really, really interesting. It is, it is a bit long and that's okay. Um, so I'm going to read the whole thing. So everybody listen up and then Juliana, you can give me, you can tell me what you think. Um, Lior writes, I've heard for a long time about how lots of food have lost so much nutritional value over the years by the way they are processed in factories. I'm wondering what impact has been made on fruits or more specifically the healthy vegetables over the years due to the same types of processing or mass production. This is so interesting to me. Is a carrot at the market not as healthy or nutrient rich as a carrot 15 years ago? Do you have to eat two times more greens to get the quote unquote good stuff that we need these days? You hear people say they don't make it like they used to and I'm wondering if that applies to places like Whole Foods. Has produce richness in general degraded aside from possibly less pesticides maybe at a farmer's market? I love this question. It is so interesting. It's interesting, but it could also be very polarizing because I think what a lot of people do is they say, oh, the food's not healthy anymore. There's not, the, the soil is depleted. There's not enough nutrition in the soil. So forget it. I might as well have a burger. I see that all the time. And it sounds like, you know, so yes, things have changed. And if you look at produce from antiquity or from way back when we find fossilized versions or photo, or not photos, but like pictures on wall caves or whatever, they, they actually looked so different. They were, they were smaller, more concentrated. And I mean, now if you look at the size of produce, it's enormous because we've hybridized, we're farming them. So obviously things have evolved and changed and maybe not for the better all the time. But does that matter? That's the question. So no, I mean, it matters and it doesn't. So with what we have today, you know, it's like we can go backwards. We can't reproduce how these foods were developed and grown back then. Rather, we can make the best choices with what we have now. You know, this is another excuse that a lot of supplemental companies use to sell supplements. Well, we're not getting enough, so take supplements. But I'd rather you still try to prioritize the most health-promoting foods, to eat plenty of fruits and vegetables, get the rainbow every day, and, and not let it be a reason to not try. That said, yes, it's definitely different. And does it matter? Maybe, perhaps it does. But I see so many problems from people eating fast food, 
processed food, highly refined foods, and not prioritizing wholesome, intact foods that are, they've got all the fiber and nutrients that we could at least get from what we have today. So don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. You know, it's interesting too. First of all, let's tell everybody who Lior is. Julie. Oh yeah. Well, I, I'm, I was really excited because Lior is my brother-in-law and he asked a question for the first time and he just, he didn't do it to like support me or anything. I don't think he really wanted to know this. So I thought, what a great way for me to talk to my brother-in-law. So hey, Lior. <laughs> but what's interesting to me is when I read that question, I didn't, it didn't even occur to me that people, oh, they're, it's not as nutrient, it's not as nutrient rich or healthy. So instead of eating a carrot, I'm going to eat a burger. I actually didn't read that question that way. I read it. How can we just get, where are we getting the best nutrition out of our healthy foods? Okay. So that's, that's good. Yeah, no, I'm glad you said that. So let me let me answer that. I would say, yeah, you know, gardening if you can and look, looking for pesticide-free when you can. I also, I worry because people think they need to eat everything organic and then they will just instead choose to have fewer fruits and vegetables, which is less healthy. So the most healthy thing you could do is eat more fruits and vegetables, eat more whole plant foods, uh, and then try to get them as clean, quote unquote, clean as you can. You know, you could use the daily dozen to avoid the ones that are highest in pesticides. But um, because sometimes the pests and stuff make the plants stronger because of xenohormesis, and that makes it have all these phytonutrients even amplified so that we get even more benefit from them. So you do your best. We do our best that we can. It's all you can do, right? Just do your best. Yes. And eat the, and eat the rainbow. Um, okay, that was great. Thank you, Lior, brother-in-law, Lior. Thank you for that. <laughs> Here we go. Next question is from Instagram. Roham.sk wants to know, you're going to love this question, is grass-fed red meat bad based on scientific studies? Hmm, Juliana, I wonder what you have to say about Yeah, that. why? Why? Uh, Hey, answer the question, but like, hey, buddy, you knew what you were writing into. Okay? <laughs> I love it. But I like to have an actual answer. And it's a it's a valid question because there's definitely good marketing behind it. You know, people, I, I can't tell you how many people I meet on day to day, like just personally, that'll say, oh, well, I eat grass fed meat or I eat, you know, free range meat. And I'm like, okay, well, the, just because I eat something different or they're raised in a different location doesn't make the actual food itself that much better. So let me, let's be devil's advocate because I, you know, I'm all about the science. I'm not like, I know I, I mean, always want to learn. Wanna, we don't want to throw Roham.sk under the bus, right? We want to be supportive. We are a supportive podcast. No, no, honestly, we are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. yeah. I want people to be able to ask these questions and I want to be able to look at it analytically as opposed to with a bias. I'm very, very, very passionate about not letting my bias get in the way because information changes and grows and, I, and I'm, I'm constantly looking at the new research. So let's analyze this. Okay. So the difference between grass-fed beef would be the difference between compared to grain-fed, right? So these are the ones on the factory farms that are being cons are usually consuming corn or soy or some variety of grains and, and whatever else they put in there. Lots of antibiotics and stuff like that as well. Just that's the case on factory farms. Um, so the grass supposedly gives the beef ultimately higher levels of omega-3 fatty acids. I've seen conjugated linolenic acid, uh, certain things like vitamin E perhaps. However, you're still ending up with the product that consume the things that beef consumes. It's still high in saturated fat. It's still high in heme iron. It's still got new 5GC, carnitine, which converts into TMAO. And 
other chem- these contaminants that form when you actually cook the flesh, such as things like polycyclic aromatic har- hydrocarbons, heterocyclic amines, advanced glycation end products. These things happen when you cook meat, whether or not the animal ate corn or soy or grass. So does it matter? Probably not. The research shows it, it's meat is meat is pretty much meat. The other component that we cannot ignore is the environmental impact. So I kind of dug in a little bit on this and like a grass-fed cow actually uses 35% more water and 30% more land than a conventionally grain-fed cow. It also, each pound of grass-fed beef produces about 500% more greenhouse gases than the grain-fed. So there's other things to be considered. Like we really, how many grass pastures can we have in the world to feed like how many people, whereas we could be growing all of this wonderful produce and feeding a lot more people. So it's an environmentally heavy ask and it doesn't seem like there's, it's even worth it in the end, nutritionally speaking. And I always love to say, either you eat the grass or you eat the animal that ate the grass. Either way, the amino acids, the nutrition came from the grass, but not really the grass, like the plants. And you know, that really does go to, go to show you that we really are. What I love about you is that, you know, you, you don't eat meat, but you still really do keep an open mind about it for people who are curious, such, such as uh, Roham.sk. Honestly, I really, I think that's great because a lot of people won't even answer that question. So that's why you come to the Choose You Now podcast because you can get information about everything. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Next question, also from Instagram. Um, I'm going to completely butcher your name. I compl- I really do apologize. B.L. Romney. Let's just, let's just say it like that. B.L. Romney from Instagram wants to know, I really want, want and need to know about IF and being plant-based. I've heard it only works with keto. What do you right. think? So I think B.L. Romney is referring to intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I like to, I always talk about time-restricted feeding. We've talked about that a lot here on the Q&As. I'm a big proponent of it. I do time-restricted feeding myself. I've been doing it for years. It's really been amazing for me. And I use it with my clients. And in fact, the Choose You Now diet, which is coming out in just a couple of weeks, just a few weeks from now, uh, we talk all about this and why I recommend time-restricted feeding. However, of course, I recommend a plant-based diet, um, as many of you already know that. So, of course, you could do any diet. There's The thing is, there's no rules. Like, there's no real rules. Like, there's no way to do anything. There's no perfect diet. There's no, like, actual keto diet. There's no actual vegan diet or paleo diet. There's Everyone's making it up, to be honest. Like, everyone's kind of just making their own rules and guidelines. So, you don't have – there's no wrong way or right way. I recommend limiting your intake, so having some time in the fasted state. I usually recommend between 12 and 18 hours in the fasted state, uh, ideally. That's where the research seems to to show a lot of benefit, although that's also all over the place. But um, you can absolutely do it with plant-based, and I recommend that because instead of doing it with just animal products, because of as per the last question, you're getting these wonderful health-promoting foods that are rich in phytonutrients and fiber and will help you with your long-term health too. I love it. That's awesome. Nicely done. Um, next question, Instagram. E underscore priv. I love this question as well. E underscore priv. How can we get calcium without dairy? I don't do dairy, but now I have osteopenia and I'm scared. Oh, E underscore priv. I'm sorry to hear that. First of all, um, did I pronounce that correctly? Uh, no, it's okay. it's okay. It's osteopenia. Osteopenia. What did and I say? That's what I said. Osteopenia. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> which sounds more like a pasta, but that's sorry. okay. Sorry, folks. Which would sorry, be allowed. 
yeah. under, yes, under your I, diet. Yeah, no, no, you're, you're okay. That's right. Thank you, Adam. See, we are a supportive podcast, even from Adam. Okay, Juliana, go for it. We are. I mean, osteopenia <laughs> is basically a precursor for osteoporosis, and it is something to be concerned about. Many, many women have to worry about this, especially when they're very lean and light, and they are not doing you know, a lot of strength training and activity, it's a problem. And basically it's the wearing away of the bone tissue, which is what happens after aging. After about the age of 25, we start losing bone tissue. And so we have to fight it uh, with exercise primarily. But calcium is of course a factor as well. And as any of you have listened to me before, I always recommend ditching dairy as the first line of defense in a health promoting lifestyle because dairy is so harsh on the body and inflammatory. And there's a million reasons we could talk about that, but that's not the question. So go back to calcium. Calcium is the most abundant mineral in the body. We um, contain most of it, 99% of it is in our bones and 1% is circulated through the blood tissue. But as we get older, we start to break down bone and we need calcium not only for our bones, but our teeth and for blood clotting and muscle contraction, nerve transmission, hormones, enzymes. There's a lot of different reasons. Um, now we can get it from plants. Okay. So there's all sorts of wonderful whole plant sources of calcium, including you could do fortified plant milks. I don't consider those whole foods, but I use those as ingredients. Most plant milks now are fortified and have the same amount of calcium and is fortified the same as milk with vitamin D. So that's good to know. Other foods that actually are whole foods that have calcium include leafy greens. And again, we'll go back to emphasizing the low oxalate options, like we talked about before, kale, bok choy, all the lettuces and cabbages. Then there's other things like dried figs and sesame seeds, tahini, almonds and almond butter, chia seeds, beans, soybeans, soy nuts, and calcium set tofu. And most tofu is set in calcium. So that's important. And also something to consider is that how much you consume doesn't always have to be the most important thing. Sometimes it's more important about how much you absorb, right? Because if you're not going to absorb it, what's the point? Uh, and that's, that's what determines the risk of bone fractures and osteopenia and osteoporosis. So exercising is really important, making sure you have vitamin D levels in your blood that are normal and healthy levels of vitamin D will help you absorb the calcium when you consume it. Make sure when you're consuming it, you keep it, you know, maybe separate from tea and coffee so that you can kind of en enhance absorption. And just make sure you're, again, prioritizing those six daily threes where you're getting all of those foods so you're getting ample doses of that calcium. Very interesting. Um, well, thank you for your question, E underscore Priv. Um, next one, we have a Facebook question from Lynn. What plant foods help moisturize hair? It sounds silly, but my hair is so dry, but my skin is not. I was eating a handful of nuts every day, but I stopped. Could that have helped? I have not changed shampoo or conditioner. Thank you for everything, Juliana. Well, thank you for your question, Lynn. And I've never been asked this about moisturizing the hair. And what I, of course, I go back to, oh, what's the nutritional component of this? And we could talk about that. But I would also suggest getting a really good um, hair person that I have the most amazing person that does my hair. And no matter how dead my hair could get from the sun, because there's all this stuff that also comes into play besides diet, um, she always kind of brings it back to life. And I'll tell you what I used to do. And this is going to sound really funny. The only time I would recommend coconut oil is on your hair because it makes a really good moisturizer. So sometimes like every week I'll do a mask. I'll use either coconut oil or mashed avocado or even olive oil. I used to do mayonnaise or eggs. Me and my sister would put mayonnaise in our hair and it smelled so horrific that I couldn't eat mayonnaise 
well, then I went vegan. But before that, I could not eat mayonnaise because that smell is so atrocious. But it really makes your hair really shiny. I wonder if the vegan mayos do the same. But yeah, it's just that oil on top that just like helps fill up the follicle. I don't know. But in terms of nutrition, you know, yes, I think nuts and seeds are very, very important. And I, I wonder why you've given them up. There's a million reasons to eat nuts and seeds. You know, they recommend one to two, we, they, us, we all recommend one to two ounces or 30 to 40 grams of nuts and seeds a day for a lot of reasons, but it's really the best place to get your essential fats and you do need essential fats for hair health. And uh, so many other reasons too, like the zinc and the selenium and the all sorts of different wonderful vitamin E, that's important too. And those are uniquely uh, abundant in nuts and seeds. So you know, I would definitely bring back the nuts and seeds if you can. I think they're really, really helpful. And, uh, you know, and then hair health is also, remember, if you're losing weight, you're probably going to lose hair. You're not talking about the hair loss though, where you're talking about the moisture. Um, omega-3 fatty acids might come into play. So taking your microalgae, EPA and DHA formula might come into play. But I would say that mostly once it's out of your head and like and hanging down, <laughs> I think that you want to kind of take into consideration more of the external topical things. So, so maybe, sh maybe should switch up your shampoo and conditioner and, uh, and maybe try one of those little hair masks. I have a question for you. Is there such a thing as plant-based hairdressers? People who use, no, no, like people who use, you can't see it, but Julian is laughing at me right now, but <laughs> like people who use certain kinds of products for your hair. Is that a thing or am I, do I just sound like a moron? I'm, well, you never sound like a moron, Sanford. Uh, well, I'm sure there are. There's plant-based everyone's nowadays, but um, like I know my, the girl I've been going to for many, many years, Shanoa, shout out to you. I love you, Shanoa. She's amazing. <laughs> she, her and her husband are very, very eco-friendly. So they always do eco-friendly packaging and it's, it's usually tends to be more of a plant-based product. I don't I, but, you know, most of these are these days, but you want to look for the, I guess if you're like vegan for the ethical reasons, you'll look for like the cruelty-free symbols on on those kind of products. But um, I have yet to meet. If there's a plant-based hair professional out there, please shout out to us so that we can um, tell everyone about you. I love that. Very good. All right, here we go. Uh, two more questions. Next one is also from Facebook from Tanya. Tanya wants to know, what supplements would you recommend for all vegans to take? There are so many out there. How can I find the cleanest, non-toxic, healthy protein powder? Oh, I know what you're going to say. Or vegan supplements when so many contain heavy metals and nasty ingredients. Oh, Tanya, it's a good question. And it's a problem because supplements are not regulated. There's nobody really regulating supplements. So there was this act that came into play and it just kind of like anything could be on the market. And that's a little scary. It's buyer beware. So I don't really, all I say is you could look for these third-party testing or certification programs where they're kind of vetting it out. But you could look at like, there's these people like Consumer Reports will pull a product off the shelf and analyze it in a lab and see that the label doesn't necessarily match what's inside. So it could be more of more like wrong quantities, different added things like you're saying extra heavy metals or other nasty ingredients. So I don't know what to tell you unless you want to go and test it in a lab. You know, I like to go with things that I, I've trusted over the years and uh, I don't necessarily recommend protein powder. I think that's what Sanford, you were alluding to knowing my answer. <laughs> don't really need protein powder, but um, in terms of supplements themselves, you know, sometimes I also recommend just varying it up. Like sometimes I'll buy a different bottle, a different brand when I, I'll rotate just to have, you know, faith in multiple places and not to put all of my 
vegan eggs in one basket, I guess. I don't know. So I wish I had a better answer for you. But as of now, there really is no way to completely guard yourself against that. So focusing mostly on eating your healthy diet and then relying on supplements as little as possible. Of course, you do need some, but um, but being just, I don't know, buyer beware. <laughs> you know, I remember I was in Whole Foods with a friend of mine. This was years ago. And I was buying protein powder. And he said to me, I grabbed the jar or the, the tub. I won't say which brand it was. And he said, you know, there's metal in that powder. I said, metal? What are you talking about? He's like, no, no, no. You need to know. Like, you should research it. And I researched this brand and it was known for having metal. And I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. And I still don't listen to you because I still take protein powder. Anyway, yeah. here we go. This is, but I, I take a really good one. I take a really you good one. You can lead a human to healthy, but you can't make them eat. <laughs> Here's our last question. This is, this is, this is our last question for our supersized season two premiere Q and a um, from Tori on Facebook. I love this question too. What is the preferred type of breakfast, savory or sweet grains or no, et cetera, et cetera. Well, thank you, Tori. And it's a fun question, but I'm going to be kind of, uh, I might say something you don't expect. (laughs) I'm going to say that if we removed the term breakfast, lunch, and dinner and snack, then would it really matter? Because really breakfast foods is all marketing. This was all made up as a marketing uh, plot, not plot. It was very brilliant because we still talk talk about how important breakfast is and the time of the day and it's the most important meal of the day and it has to be this kind of breakfast foods. And that's a great marketing. What's the word for it? It's great marketing. It's just great marketing. And it doesn't matter what you eat when. Break fast means you're breaking your fast. So after you have gone, at least, you know, however many hours you've gone without eating, uh, that's your first meal of the day. So doesn't matter what you eat. I am my, I eat one meal a day, usually sometimes two, but my first meal a day is usually soup, salad. It's the same thing I would eat any time of the day, just because it just doesn't matter what time of day. So if you prefer savory or you prefer sweet, if you prefer grains or you prefer no grains, go for it. Make sure, you know, the, the goal is healthy, whole food, plant-based as much as possible and eat when you're hungry, stop when you feel satisfied. And then everything else is just magic. You taught me uh, to eat soup for breakfast. I did. You did. When we were doing What Would Juliana Do? You taught me that soup is an acceptable thing for breakfast because breakfast doesn't really exist. Right. So, so, and you said that soup is a great way to get a lot of nutrition into your body fairly quickly. And I always remember that. Anyway, thank you for such a great Q&A, everybody. Thank you for our season two premiere episode. Those were great questions. Thanks, everybody. Yes. Thank you all so, so much. Thank you, Sanford, for sharing them. And thank you, Adam. Okay. If you are inspired and enjoy the Choose You Now podcast, become a member of our new Patreon page, patreon.com slash choose you now, and you will have access to all this wonderful exclusive content. Also, please subscribe to the show, rate and review us on iTunes, and send us an email with questions and comments at chooseyounowpodcast at gmail.com. For nutrition services and more information, visit me at plantbaseddietitian.com. I invite you to choose yourself now, and I'm signing off with lots of leafy green love.